right, welcome to the Mason Jar. We are here today with Pam Barnhill. I have just finished up talking to Pam over on um, Your Morning Basket, and now we are going to finish up our conversation over here on the Mason Jar. So if you've been listening over there and you're here, uh, welcome. Pam is a former high school journalism teacher and yearbook professional. She has taught classes in her local school, organized and presented multi-day yearbook workshops, and presented at events like the Columbia Scholastic Press National Convention in New York. So she has quite a professional um, uh, resume, but her website is pambarnhill.com. And what we will probably find the most interesting is that she's authored three homeschooling books, including Plan Your Year, Homeschool Planning for Purpose and Peace, Your Morning Basket, Truth, Goodness, and Beauty for Your Homeschool Day, which is a guide to implementing morning time. Uh, Now, Pam lives in, in Alabama. I always think she lives in Florida, but she lives in Alabama with her husband, Matt, Three, her three children and some dogs. So, um, and she enjoys reading and watching football in her free time. And we would expect no, no less of someone from Alabama. So, uh, welcome to the Mason Jar, Pam. Thank you. You know, uh, I don't root for Alabama though. Okay. So are you an Auburn fan or who do you root for? I am not. And I think I know where the Florida thing is messing you up because I'm a Florida state fan. Uh, I graduated oh, from Florida I'm State. So sorry, we can't have you on the Mason Jar. <laughs> We're going to have to cancel this. My husband might leave me if he knows I did this. Okay, so who who is your husband? He's a Georgia fan. So it's, okay, it's a, it's a painful relationship. Okay, but, but actually. Florida State are the Seminoles. Yeah, we're the ACC, yeah. so we're not. They're even, not so bad. No. They're not. They're not the Gators. If we no. were the Gators, we would have to. Um, yeah. So I grew up in Florida. So um, it's even though um, I, I'm, I have had my husband's made me follow him on the team thing. Yeah. Well, I was born and raised in Florida, uh, and we didn't move to Alabama until about ten years ago. Okay. Now we lived in Alabama also, and I cannot tell you, I did not expect to love Alabama. I absolutely adored Alabama. What a great state. It is a nice state. It's, it's beautiful. I will say that my Alabama is a lot hotter than what yours was. <laughs> absolutely. Yes. <laughs> but it's a, it's a long state. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It's a, it's a beautiful state and my family's here. So, you know, we, we enjoy living here so we can be close to family with the kids. So, yeah, but thank you for uh, having me on. Yeah. We're, well, it's, um, so you're, you're, you, where did you grow up in Florida? Um, I grew up in LA, lower Alabama, the North, the panhandle. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so I grew up in the Panhandle part of Florida, just north of the beaches, and uh, kind of in the you know piney woods there of Florida. So you're a cracker. I'm a cracker. <laughs> I'm a Florida cracker. That is exactly yeah. right. Yeah. And then we we lived in Tampa for ten years before we started having kids, and that's where I did all my teaching and things like that. Um, and then when we had kids, we we moved back up to this area. So how, so let's start with Charlotte Mason then. Um, how did you hear about Charlotte Mason when you started having kids? Were you planning on homeschooling them? Yes. So, you know, having been uh, in the school system for a number of years and seeing the kind of the direction 
the way things were going. You know, I tell people I homeschool because of the testing. <laughs> uh, mm. but I, you know, could see these colleagues that I worked with and many of whom that I just admired so much you know, and wanting to teach in the way that they were passionate about their subject and they couldn't because they, their hands were tied by all of these testing, uh, you know, the testing that Florida was doing and, uh, you know, their merit was being based on how the kids in their classes performed on these horrible tests. Um, so that was kind of what drove me to homeschooling more than anything else. That and the fact I had this little bitty baby and uh, I couldn't imagine leaving her with anyone else. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so um, we knew fairly early on that homeschooling was probably in our future. And so because, you know, I just had a little bitty baby and I'm kind of uh, obnoxious in this way, I started reading everything I could get my hands on. <laughs> and um I came across Charlotte Mason fairly early on. And I think that's the, the thing that really surprised me the most was, why have I never heard of this woman? You know, I had, I had been a teacher. I'd gone to teacher college and, uh, you know, had studied. I'd, I'd heard of Montessori a little bit. You know, we go through the whole Piaget thing in our uh psychology class but I had never heard of Charlotte Mason and I was just astonished and then the same thing kind of struck me about classical education as well that was something that was never covered in any of my college classes and so um, that was kind of my first experience and I dabbled in probably all of the homeschooling philosophies for a little bit and just kind of checking them all out and that is a is a good knowledge for me now to yes, have yes. as I help homeschoolers uh, that I, I know a little bit about a lot of them, but I have moved more and more over the past uh, four years into first classical and now more and more into Charlotte Mason. Well, you know, now you're, you're known for um, your morning basket and talking about morning time a lot. So, so, but to just get ahead of myself a little bit, um, I, I think it's interesting that morning time really, while it grew out, my morning time grew out of my reading of Charlotte Mason and me trying to apply it in my home when there really wasn't a whole lot available to say, this is how you do it. So that's where morning time came from and from me. But I, I've, I've often thought um, there's nothing that would uh, prevent morning time, whatever philosophy you're using, um, morning time would still be something you could adapt for that. Do you agree with that? Oh, yeah, wholeheartedly. I mean, I talk about this all the time. But, you know, if you think about it, you have, uh, let's say, a traditional homeschooler, maybe somebody who's using like an Abeka or BJU or even a video or online uh, style of learning with their kids. And, you know, people do that sometimes because they're very comfortable with that. That's the right. kind of learning that they grew up with. And they're they're keeping their kids home for maybe different reasons than what I'm keeping my kids home for, and they're comfortable with it. And so in my mind, it's better to homeschool that way, you know, because you're comfortable with it than it is to not homeschool at all for the most part. Right, and, right. Um, you know, so for a family like that to do morning time, that gives them the opportunity to bring a little beauty and ritual and prayer and memorization into their homeschool where it's not in their curriculum necessarily, you know, as they're working through those workbook pages or whatever. That's right. Yeah. And I found, um, that 
yeah, it's adaptable to, you know, I mean, you do have to take the time to do it and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But, um, so, so you started, when did you start like, uh, implementing morning time in your family? It was about four years ago, four to five years ago. I'd have to like look exactly. I guess, I guess it was closer to five now, but, uh, it was your blog that got me there. Um, you know, I was reading your blog and about that time you did that month of morning time series, uh, with your 31 days of morning time. Yes. Yes. I, and that was kind of the end of my blog. I did that series and not long after that I quit blogging and it was kind of cool because I felt like you came along and and said something to me at that point. You said, well, if you're not going to do it, do you care if I, you know, Mm -hmm. if I keep talking about it and, um, and it's, and it was just kind of the Lord, honestly, that, that, you know, this idea, there was just this little idea that I was promoting kind of half-heartedly in, um, in my non-technical savvy way, (laughs) um, that, that somebody could come along and actually promote it. It it just really was amazing to me, um, that that happened. (laughs) Yeah. And I, now you said, uh, you were happy (laughs) when your blog ended. I was like, I just found you and you're leaving me. So I was kind of like sad to be at the tail end of all of that. But, um, you know, I've been fortunate to have other ways to kind of soak in your knowledge. Your books have come out and getting to talk to you a number of times for the podcast. Um, I've felt fortunate in that. Yeah. So it's been fun to see, um, the girls that, um, I, I, that were really just my friends online for years, um, Misty Winkler and Brandy Vincell. Um, they really, um, always made me feel so good about myself. (laughs) And, um, and then, you know, that, that they, now that they have, you know, gone on to take some of the ideas and, and it's nice to be able to point people in that direction and say, Oh, look, there's, a lot of information out there that's up since, since I was talking about these ideas before. And then I kind of stopped and, 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 but it it didn't really end. And I really did think, well, that's that. And I, I always, I find it very fascinating the way God works and how he, um, he has his own ideas. (laughs) Um, but so today we, we were talking on your blog about different subjects that we do. I mean, not on your, on your podcast about different subjects to do in morning time. Uh, but we didn't really talk about, um, what is right now become a kind of a catchword in the Charlotte Mason world, the riches. Mm-hmm. Um, now that, that term has come up and what, what does that mean? Do you, do you have a clue about that term? Well, I mean, when I hear people talk about the riches, I think the kind of the first thing that goes in my mind is that they're, they're drawing a line, you know, between subjects and, and some subjects are kind of, and the utilitarian subjects, you know, and then there's these other subjects that are kind of like the frosting on our homeschool cake. Um, and that, you know, these subjects are like composer study or a picture study or poetry. You and I talked about poetry earlier or Shakespeare, things that are maybe outside the traditional scope and sequence that a child would usually follow. But they're these wonderful things that we want to get to in our homeschool. Um, So that's kind of what I think of as the riches. 
Yeah, I think the I think the term was first used by Wendy Capehart or maybe Lynn Bruce. I'm not sure, but in a talk that she gave a couple years ago, and she started talking about um, these these extra subjects, or um, and we would probably quibble a little bit with the fact that now, and I'm sure Wendy didn't mean it that way, but now it's become almost a cliche to talk mm-hmm. about the riches. It's amazing how fast in the internet age. Um, something takes on a life of its own and becomes kind of almost a hindrance to what you're trying to talk about in, in some ways um, because it, everybody starts uh, running with it and, and, and it just it's like a fire that takes off and that not to say I'm against um, the riches I'm not I I just find it interesting that it now has taken on um, this this otherworldly meaning um, but but it would be but but it would be things like you said, of art composer. Uh, maybe this is uh, something as opposed to skill work, like math or worksheets or those kind of things. That um, um, do you see Charlotte Mason talking about that, or do you? Um, what do you think? Um, does it come from a, a unique Charlotte Mason philosophy? I don't think so. Now I am going to bow to your wisdom in this one because I am not deeply read in Charlotte Mason, uh, certainly not as deeply read as you are. But my understanding, and I've had some conversations with Brandy Vinsel about the riches, is that this is not, uh, you know, Charlotte didn't draw lines like that and say that these are and these aren't, right? Right, right. No, I don't think she did. As a matter of fact, in preparation to talk with you, I went through her volumes and the closest thing that I could really find, besides that she does talk about um, studying music, studying composers, you know, she has foreign language and math and all these things. Um, the main thing that Charlotte talks about is short lessons. Mm-hmm. And, and even that, she, she doesn't go on and on and on about it the way we do when we talk about her. Um, but I think that's where... Um, um, the idea of a short lesson comes in. And so now um, we're going to intersperse something that might be called um, art with something that might be more skill and and, um, going back and forth between those two things. Now, one of the criticisms is with morning time from people that I've heard is that uh, morning time is top heavy with the riches and um, and those things should not be all in the morning. They should be interspersed throughout the day. Have you heard anything about that? I have. And, you know, this is where I think I'm kind of confused in that. So, you, you know, when you think about Charlotte Mason, she was actually asking us to use different parts of the brain. So, like, not to give a child three short lessons in a row where you're asking them to... Uh, listen to something that you're reading and then narrate it back. But instead, switch it up with different parts of the brain. So where maybe you read and narrate and then uh, you might do a picture study, which is using a slightly different part of the brain. And then you might do math and then you read and narrate again and then you do something different. Well, you know, that's something I advocate even for moms in morning time. Is, you know, if you're going to read history and literature, sometimes we even read science in our morning time. If you're going to read all of those things in your morning time, don't sit there and read all three of them in a row and have your child narrate. You know, 
Start with prayer and then read your history and then do your memory work and then read your science and then do your picture study. So, uh, you know, I know that the criticism is there that you're kind of putting all of these things together, but I don't think it really has to do with riches versus non-riches so much as uh, using your brain for one kind of thing and then letting that part of your brain rest and using it, using a different part of your brain next. And to me, that's exactly what, why morning time works in the first place. That's exactly the way it was set up to work. And that's exactly how, um, it, it kind of evolved just because it is, it is our, it is naturally doing that. You, you read the Bible and then you sing a song Mm -hmm. and, or, or you, maybe you look at an artwork first and then you, and then you read the Bible, then you sing a song and then maybe you read some, you know, a, um, a devotional book and then maybe you read a poem and you're just going back and forth, back and forth, um, the whole morning time, uh, because that is what works and that's why it develops like that. So, so maybe on paper, a mom starts out, if she writes it all down in a way that, and now I'm going to read all these things, um, at the end. And, and, but as she's going, she sees, well, it's better if I do Shakespeare, maybe after we sing this hymn and then come back and do something else. Um, after that, it, it kind of works to me. It naturally worked itself out over the years into being very much interspersed one, one thing, one kind of learning and then another kind. Um, I don't know if you found that with your morning time, but um, I think that's just sort of the natural way it works. Yeah, and I think because you talked about it, then I was a little more intentional about planning it that way when it came time for me to actually sit down and plan out what I was going to do. But, you know, I think for most moms, you got little kids. They're not going to sit there and listen to you read thing after thing after thing. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's not. So I think people are going to figure it out no matter what, that it's better to do one kind of thing and then do the other. But, you know, I really think that's what Charlotte was talking about when she talked about doing different things. And it's sometimes it's amazing to me to think about kind of how far ahead of her time she was with thinking about the way the brain works. Yeah, she really was. I don't know if she was just especially alert to what was going on with the kids or um, because I know with me, when you, when you see them, them glass over, then you know they're not listening, and you make an you you adapt to that. Um, it's not that you're not. Hopefully, they're 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 always. Um, and, and of course, with a large family, some people are going to you know go out of the picture, and other people stay in, and and that's where you have that whole thing. As each child is going to take out of of, of morning time what they want or what they, what they need, what, what they're hungry for. And it's going to be different for each child too. Now, do you have any, any other really beefs with the idea of the riches? I do. (laughs) And I, you know, I don't know, not having been present in kind of that original hearing it in the original context in which, uh, you know, it was talked about. I don't know that this was how it was originally intended, but I think the thing that kind of, uh, bothers me a little bit when I hear people talking about the riches today and people saying, well, don't put all of your riches into morning time is when you start drawing that line down the middle of the paper and saying, these are the riches and these are not the riches, then I think you start doing a disservice 
to some of these other subjects. And uh, there's a Stratford Caldecott quote. It's funny because you started talking about him uh, on the Your Morning Basket side of this. And I'm like, right. Okay, Beauty, Beauty <laughs> and the Word is my absolute favorite homeschooling book, too. Um, and we didn't plan that. No, we did not. But uh, he says in here, he says, uh, Revelation subtly alters the way every subject is taught as well as the relationships between them. So he's talking about, you know, the revelation of God to us as humans. Mm. What is revealed connects them severally and together to our own destiny, to the desire of our hearts for union with infinite truth. At that point, everything becomes interesting. There are no boring subjects. Nothing can be ugly or pointless unless we make it so turning our backs on the giver of being. So what Caldecott is talking about is everything, even math, you know, comes from God, is of the creator. And so I think one of the things that bothers me about this term, as people use it now, is they draw this dividing line and they say, these things are the true, the good, and the beautiful. And these other things over here are not. And... Mm. You know, I I don't like that line in the middle of the paper. Everything comes from God. I, I agree with you. And I think Charlotte Mason brings this out when she says, and, and, and Caldecott does quote her, when she says education is the science of relations. Mm-hmm. Um, the riches are, that, uh, that what is being called the riches are in close relationship with the other subjects, uh, if you want, I, and I wish we could use another word than subjects, but since we can't, it's very difficult to not use that word. Um, but like you said, math and music, how closely related are they? Very, very closely related. Um, and in fact, I think it's, um, is it Caldecott who calls the quadrivium music? I'm not sure, or if it's somebody else, but, um, these are the subjects uh, that the musical subject, so to speak, um, and, and, and there's a very, very close tie between um, art and science. Um, there's just so many relations that are that are there between those subjects that that you're right. It is a shame to put a line down the middle and say these are more important than these or 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 these are 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 off to the side as true, good, and beautiful, whereas these are just, you know, the drudgery of, of, of school. Right. Yeah, and we, we touched on it a little bit on the other side of the podcast where we were talking about math and morning time. I mean, that's something, despite my relationship with mathematics, <laughs> where mm-hmm. I struggle. And, you know, I would really love somebody to come along and take me by the hand and say, here, Pam, let me show you where God is in mathematics. Um, and, and I will tell you Caldecott's other book, I have not made my way through yet. Um, the one, me either. <laughs> yeah. It's like, give me, give me the literary side of this beauty in the word, but I don't want to go to the mathematical side and the name of it escapes me at the moment. Um, is it? Yeah. Uh, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get, get it. it. <laughs> yeah. They're, the other Caldecott book, the one about math, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I don't like, I don't like that, that drawing of the line. And so we, we do try to put math in our morning time. We do. It's not the only math we do, do for the day. And it's not necessarily the skill work with math. Uh, it, you know, it's something that all three of my children can approach together. 
but we do try to put it in there just to make the point that even even this is beautiful you know mm. yeah and it's the ideas behind math there are ideas that our brains can feed on in mathematics so um so morning time might be a good place to insert those ideas apart from like like you said in the other podcast the drudgery of just the the daily lesson so um yeah i i um and his other book is called beauty for truth sake that's it um, on the reenchantment of education which i love that subtitle on the reenchantment of education. And I'm really looking forward to reading it someday. I know it's going to be wonderful, but, um, um, it, I, I'm still fee. I, I don't think I've talked about anything all year except remembrance on every, every talk I've given. Um, it, it has gone back to, to, um, Stratford Caldecott's use of that word. And there's just so much to think about there that I haven't reached the end of it yet. <laughs> yeah, that's a deep well that you could dig for a long time, the idea of the grammar stage as remembrance. Um, yes. I mean, it really opens up everything. It really, really makes it all fall into place uh, just so perfectly that you can't believe someone didn't say that sooner. Um, well, um, once we understand that education is for remembrance, um, it just changes even the stress and pressure we feel about even these, these things that we're talking about today, the riches, um, um, they are very much front and center of, of what we're trying to remember. We're trying to remember what people said and sang and thought in the past so that, so that we can, um, order our own thoughts. Right. Now I want to talk about, and I, I really like the idea that you've talked about before about morning time and efficiency. Mm. Now, where does that word come into morning time? Is a morning time is morning time efficient or is it inefficient? Because it can take up some time in the homeschool day. Well, I you have nine kids, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. you know you're. I I think it is because and maybe somewhat this is a personality thing too. Um, you know we've spoken with some moms on the podcast who who do morning time very much like you and I did morning time where they they take all of the things and they put them in the basket and they attach them to this part of the day and this is the way we we get them done you know uh, and this is the efficient way to teach all of the children together but then we we sometimes talk to other moms we've had a couple on who were like well I just spread it throughout the day and I don't know if that's a personality thing, the way the brain works, you know, uh, the way somebody's personality handles things. But for me to put, um, to ha you know, to designate a time and to say, this is what we are doing at those that time, that's to me is how those things get done. Absolutely. For me, that is also too. I mean, with nine kids, it was more like... The sooner, I don't know when my day is going to fall apart. I know it's going to fall apart. I don't know when for sure, but I know that I have this time. Right. And it's almost like a sacred and protected space in our day. That's one of the things I love about morning time. It feels different than the rest of the day. And, you know, it's funny because we sit around our table when we do morning time. We sit around the table when we do the rest of our schoolwork, too. 
there's there's no hard delineation for us between we're like here in this one space during morning time and we're here in this other space doing school. It, right. it all happens in the same space, but it still it feels really different. Uh, you know, and I don't think it's just the fact that we've lit a candle. Uh, there's just something about it uh, that feels different because we're doing it. Yeah, when I was at my daughter-in-law's house, they they all gather around the table, and she gives them all this really yummy food, and um, she's a great cook, and then they um, have candles, and it's just such a special time, and I thought, wow, I never incorporated food. It was more like, okay, oh, I forgot to eat. Go eat. I'm going to go eat, Um, but there wasn't actually any real food um, going on in morning time, but I I think food is a good, uh, might also be something we don't talk about often about morning time, but it, it could also be a part of it. Yeah. Uh, well, there's second breakfast and 11 Z's are typically going That's on right. <laughs> during our morning time. Um, and then while I love the idea of uh, making special food for morning time, that just doesn't fit in my diet. <laughs> no, I know. And I, I make a joke about the years. We had tea time for a while in the afternoons, and that was very, very hard. It was stressful for me to make sure we got that tea time in. But I think I gained about 15 pounds during the years, uh, during the, the, the few months that we had tea times consistently with cookies and tea around the table uh, in the afternoon. So, um, yeah, that was not good for me. You know, and one of the other things I wanted to point out, you had asked about efficiency, uh, Mm -hmm. about efficiency in morning time is a lot of times we think about, and you and I talk about morning time like this, is a time where you can put those things that you want to get to in the day that might otherwise be pushed aside. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, for me, I've carefully chosen a few things that are really important to us. And then I strive to get to those things through that morning time but it doesn't always have to be about adding things to your day Mm. you know if uh we we've had actually a couple times some moms say well I'm doing Ambleside online so what should I do in my morning time and I'm like well you don't need to put anything extra in there Ambleside gives you everything you need uh you know it's all laid out for you right there in your curriculum so take those things from Ambleside, you know, the, the poet of the quarter or the picture study of the quarter or whatever that might, you know, whatever those things are and put those in your morning time. Now you're going to have to make a decision. Absolutely. Right. And, and I'm doing that this year with the family I'm teaching. Um, we decided for various reasons to go with sunlight, uh, parts, parts of sunlight. Let me put it that way. Not we're not using the language arts. Um, but, um, for the reading, the history reading, um, we're using that, those books and yet, um, all of my selections for my, my time with my, my student all come from Ambleside. And those were just the morning. That's what I did with morning time also before. Now I was doing morning time before there was an Ambleside, but Ambleside made morning time infinitely easier and more fun because it was nice to have other people studying, the same artist or the same composer as, as I was, or singing the same hymn or the same folk song. Um, those are all things that I really, really appreciate about that. But um, it's not been hard to incorporate that with the, the other reading we're doing um, with this, with sunlight. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of moms out there who are, 
you know, he'll say to me, well, what should I put my morning time? And they're doing like sunlight or my father's world or uh, some of these other literature based curriculums. And I'm like, well, you know, you don't don't morning time is not to be a burden to you. Right. It's, it's to be a help to you. It's a tool that you can use. Um, so you're going to have to make those choices and combine kids sometimes uh, for specific subjects I um, that maybe the curriculum calls for not combining them. But, you know, you can do that. I mean, that's what I did naturally. I've talked about this before, but um, I always, the things I was doing in morning time with the group, I didn't individualize. Um, now, I may have, if we were reading American history in morning time, then I'm the literature selections for the children might have been more in line with their age group for their own private reading. But um, I didn't over, I didn't have them do a separate time of reading history besides just their extra reading in that subject. So um, I, I naturally did that. And I think this Ambleside for groups that I had um, the girls on to talk about, Donna Jean and Leslie Lorio, um, it covers some of that idea that if we do this, these things together in a group, we don't have to try to squish this curriculum together um, and make everything else fit. We, we really do want people to have freedom and, and the ability to make decisions for their own family for how that's all going to work out. There seems to be, and, and this is just old curmudgeonly mom here talking, a, a lot of panic among people. Yep, there goes Max. I tried to get where he would, he'd be far away. But there seems to be a lot of panic young mo- among a lot of young moms about how to fit everything in and how to make a, a curriculum work perfectly. And I, I think that almost any curriculum you use is going to have to be adapted to your family and your situation. Yeah. 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 And if, if I can give an example, uh, we have these morning time plans that we do on our website and we have this middle ages set of plans. And that's uh, when you, when you, write these kinds of things you kind of write what you need well that was the first set we wrote because that was what I was studying this year (laughs) in my homeschool right (laughs) and so you know when we wrote these we included read alouds in them for you to read to your children we gave some suggestions of books that you could read with your kids well because I'm part of a co-op and because I have a child who is not a strong reader I'm having to read aloud the books from the co-op to this child. And so instead of reading these other books over here in morning time and then coming over here and reading these different books aloud to this child, they're all about the Middle Ages. So what I did was I just said, we're not going to do the books that are in these morning time plans. We're going to come over here and we're going to read aloud these books together in morning time. And those are going to be our morning time selections. But it's going to kind of kill two birds with one stone in this child who needs to hear these books for his class gets to hear them. And so that's a curriculum that, you know, basically I had a hand in writing and I'm saying, I'm not using those selections. I'm using these over here. Um, So it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to work for your family. I think that's a great example. And I'm really glad that you were able to say that because you did write that. And it is a great plan. It's just that you had to make adaptations for your family. I found that 
the, the other thing that I come that's similarly related to this subject, when I, I had already had morning time in, in line with my family, but sometimes I would come across other people who were doing other things and I would be like, Oh, I want to do that too. And I, sometimes I had to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't, if, if I do that, I'm not going to be able to keep doing morning time. Um, whether it was unit studies, which, you know, I'm so glad I didn't do that now (laughs) or, or some of these other curriculums that were out there at the time that were maybe more structured, but sometimes I would have to say, can I do that and keep doing morning time? And if the answer was no, then I chose I, I made the decision, no, I'm, I'm going to have to keep morning time. And I certainly don't regret that decision at all. Um, I, I definitely am happy. Yeah, but I think it just, sometimes uh, it's just about making choices. And so, you know, making the choice that's right for your family instead of trying to do it all. That's right, because you can't do it all. And that's a lot of, I think when we are trying to do it all, I think it's because of fear. We, we sometimes have a lot of fear and um, that, that can cannot be a good thing. So um, that's, I always say that's when we start making bad decisions, when, when we're making them out of fear, a fear that somehow our children are not getting what we, we want or that things aren't perfect or things aren't beautiful, <laughs> all the, these ideals that we have. Well, well, while we're talking about the riches, what if we just name a few of them and tell me, tell me how you do them, some of them in your morning time. So, um, even though we're not going to say that they're the richest, (laughs) we're going to, um, but, but we didn't talk about this as much in the other podcast. So, so do you use composer study? Do you have a composer for the, your term at your school? Well, yeah, actually we don't, so we don't do like a composer for a term. Um, I right now am using, uh, these middle ages, uh, is what is our focus and so we actually are very blessed to have uh, have a girl uh, named Jeannie Shaw who actually wrote us a set of plans for music on the middle ages because there's not a lot of stuff out there honestly about middle ages Mm -hmm. music Um, because you know the whole uh, kind of classical baroque stuff happened after that so it's a lot of uh, there's a lot of church music and then there's also um there is some secular music and so we're using these right now so we're not studying one uh composer so much as we're studying a time period which i know was uh you know charlotte mason would say study the composer and let the kids make the connections themselves um but we've also used squilt in the past that's another favorite kind of uh it goes by era and so last year we did the Squilt Modern Era and we did, you know, everybody from Gershwin all the way up to John Williams uh, and kind of studied a whole era of music. Uh, so basically mm. for us, it's it's listening to the song and or, or to the piece. And then we talk about, you know, where that piece came from. Sometimes we read little biographies about the composer. Sometimes we uh, add in classics for kids podcasts. I don't know. Uh, that's been around for a while. So is that okay? It's, it's right. like public yeah. radio puts together these little podcasts. They're seven, eight, nine minutes long, and they'll have one on Tchaikovsky or you know uh, the March or something like that. And uh, they play a lot of the music in there, and then tell about the composer or that kind of musical type. 
And then we listen to variations. That's one of the things that Squilt is really great for in that they'll, you know, you'll listen to kind of a straightforward version of the piece and then she'll give you a couple of different variations. And so I can spread one of those lessons over a couple of weeks. We come back the second week and I play a variation of what we listened to the first time, you know, maybe a different kind of instrument. Sometimes it's really unique, a uh, real unique version of it. And the kids love it. They think it's, you know, great. Well, that, I didn't, I've never even heard of that. So um, that's exciting. I, I love that idea of the, the variations. I think um, um, then the kids can, it's making a connection, but it's also giving them a chance to see connections that are made across across the thing. All right. So, what about artists? Do you do you study an artist, or or do your did you, do your plans include um, um, artists and compo- yeah. Well, you said your your plan definitely comp- includes composers. Does it also include yeah, artists? Yeah. So we'll do. Um, sometimes we do an artist, and when we do an artist over a period of time, we typically like to use the Simply Charlotte Mason uh, picture study portfolios. Uh, yeah, right. they're very are well beautiful. done. And so we'll use those. And then um, sometimes we'll study like art from a specific period. And so if we do them within the plans, we go and get like from the Met. The Met always has art. Or we'll do like we've done Norman Rockwell or Courier and Ives, which is not an artist, but it, it was a they made lithographs, a printing process. Um, and they had different artists who worked for them. We did that one one term. And so it's not, uh, we don't do it strictly Charlotte Mason. You know, sometimes we, we do a period and sometimes we do an artist. And I have to tell you, I'm kind of a failure at picture study. That's one of the, one of the ones that <laughs> I've always struggled with. So like, you know, I set the picture before my kids and I think it's just lack of practice, you know, and I haven't, I haven't helped them develop that skill enough, but I'll put the picture out there for a few minutes and they'll be looking at it and I'll say, tell me what you saw and I'll get three red balloons and you know, that's it. So it hasn't really gone deeper than that. No, I think that many of us who aren't artists at heart maybe um, feel that way. I I always felt that way. I always felt like both um, while I did do composer and art artists, um, and, and sometimes I did it like you, time period wise, but I never really felt like, oh, I got all out of this that we could mm-hmm. have gotten out of it. Um, even now, now one thing I've done this time, uh, the, I, I, somebody on uh, my uh, on the Mere Motherhood Facebook page mentioned that you can take um, if you download pictures to your computers, you can upload them to um, um, Walgreens or a local thing. And you can get these prints. And so I've been getting a, 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 a just a four by seven or four by six, whatever that size is, which is like an individual print and an eight by 10 of all of the pictures for the artists that we're studying. Um, I just did them for Winslow Homer and we had done uh, Peter Paul Rubens, um, which we just finished. And so now my student, we have one for the wall and a, and a print that I got from Walgreens that they can do, they can just have as their own print. And that was very inexpensive. And, and the prints are beautiful. I didn't know that you could do something that easy. I mean, you can just spend five minutes uploading the pictures and then go pick them up at the store. So, Or even you can even have them delivered to your house if you want. Um, but I do like the Simply Charlotte Mason um, pictures. One time last year, we were doing an artist where they didn't have any pictures for that artist. So this idea really 
save me. And, 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 and of course, I didn't do this with my own children. I just had to scrounge around for prints and print them off the internet on my own computer, which meant some of the colors weren't very good and all kinds of um, things that are so much easier now, now nowadays. <laughs> yeah, I like that idea because um, I've heard that the kids should all have their own individual copy of the print. So in order to do that, you right. would like, yeah, inexpensive would be the key. Yeah. So, so then we'll, we won't have time to cover everything, but what about Shakespeare? Um, do you, how, how, have you had any success with Shakespeare? We have had some success. Now we've used uh, Ken Ludwig's how to teach your children Shakespeare to memorize some of the passages and uh, it's very mom friendly in that he will give like he'll give you a passage that you can memorize with your kids and then uh, he kind of like tells you what's going on in the passage so you can read it's kind of like handbook of nature study where you can kind of read it as the mom and then you kind of have some things to talk about uh, that particular passage with your child but um, we typically do a Shakespeare play each uh, year we do one and we've uh last year we did julius caesar and um mm. i'm trying to think of what else we've done midsummer night's dream maybe seems like we've done one other and uh we do it in our co-op so yeah oh, and so nice. they either take parts and read it or we'll get the archangel audio drama and we'll listen to uh you know d the different people reading the different parts um, and so basically memorizing a passage from the play and then listening to the play and then having conversations about it is pretty much what we've done. Yeah, yeah. And I think that works really well. And that's um, right now with my student, I'm just using the um, we're still on. Uh, although we did read A Midsummer Night's Dream last year and we'll probably do one play this year. I've been really, he, he does, uh, while I'm reading, he draws on a, like a large piece of paper that you can glue to the wall. I, I'm, this is how technically I can't even name what this is like a big pad of paper, but anyway, he draws all the characters and, uh, we just read, um, the merchant of Venice and he adored that story. He said, this is my <laughs> favorite Shakespeare story so far. He really, really loved that story. And that, that just made me so happy. <laughs> Um, that, and he loved A Midsummer Night's Dream. We really, really um, ha handled, got a lot of that in, in different forms. So we watched, a, we read a, a, a synopsis, we watched a little cartoon of it, and we even read the real thing and even watched parts of the, the, the old Jimmy Cagney movie, <laughs> um, which you can buy on iTunes. But um, that... Um, that was one of our more successful plays. Even with my own family, I felt like that was one the kids all got and enjoyed reading. Yeah, so. and you know, the nice thing is, is my kids, um, you know, I won't say that they're like falling all over themselves, though my daughter, she really does uh, enjoy Shakespeare quite a bit. She enjoyed Midsummer Night's Dream a lot more than Julius Caesar. <laughs> She's like, he died right, halfway right. through. Why did they call the play after him? But... um you know, they're not afraid of it. There's no fear. There's no like wrinkling of the noses. He's just kind of a natural part. You know, they hear Shakespeare and they're like, oh, Shakespeare. It's not something, you know, that they're afraid of. And so kind of that idea that you talk about where you're uh, 
reading them a synopsis, we have a few different little versions of Shakespeare lying around that are the synopsis, the little stories, uh, the adaptations, and the kids can pick them up and read them themselves. Or they have the old BBC cartoons on YouTube. Yeah. And so they're just, they don't see it as something to be, oh, you know, that's only like something grown up people can do. Like we we have to be in college yeah. to read Shakespeare. Yeah. yeah, it's very natural. Yeah, yeah. I, I to me, I just enjoy Shakespeare so much. I don't know why, but um, I'm always happy when when a student gets it and likes it. Um, my kids always like to make fun of me about Shakespeare. So, um, but they all the ones who went to college were very happy. They knew Shakespeare. They said, "All you have to do to get an A on a paper is throw a, a little Shakespeare <laughs> in there, and the professor loves you." So, so it it does pay off. Yeah, that, we in were in the way. zoo the other day. Uh, actually, I feel like I'm in the zoo most days, but we actually went to the zoo, <laughs> and they had uh, they had Halloween decorations out at the zoo. They were doing some zoo boo thing, and they had a a, a witch's cauldron there. And I think it was the ten year old who piped up, you know, about double double ball in trouble or something. You know, the whole line from Macbeth, yeah. and, uh, which I probably just massacred, but. Um, no, you, you got it. <laughs> so he he started saying that, and I just had to laugh. It's like, okay, what what ten year old boy does this? But you know, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been fun talking about the riches. I feel like there's so much more that we could talk about um, here. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap things up? Yeah, you know, I think I just want to say is do your homeschool. You know, take ideas where you find mm-hmm. them. Take ideas about morning time where you find them. But, uh, you know, create your vision, run your race. You know, as you would say, be in, be inspired and led by the method that you've chosen. But don't let people talk you into guilt or worry or anxiety. Because, you know, yeah, it, you want to avoid that fear, making those bad decisions out of fear. Amen. Those are very good words. I'm glad that um, it's been fun talking to you. We've, we've had a nice long talk and I'm sure we could just keep talking and talking and talking. So um, it's very, thank you very much for being on the Mason Jar. Well, thank you very much. Um, it was a lot of fun to be here and I'm always inspired by conversations with you. So I got, I got a good feel this afternoon. Yeah, I've got some notes too to take to my students. <laughs>